This is FBG Jen. And FBG Kristen. And I'm FBG Margot, host and producer. You're listening to the podcast that will help you keep a lid on the junk in the trunk and inspire you to live a happy and confident life. Each episode, we chat with motivational experts and celebs and share our own candid adventures in being healthy. If you're looking for a podcast that's equal parts hilarious and enlightening, well then welcome to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. Want to live that Fit Bottom life that's free of dieting today, tomorrow, and every day of your life? Take the first step by signing up for our free five-day Fit Bottom Reset email course at fitbottomgirls.com forward slash email. A happier and healthier you awaits. Welcome back to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. This is FBG Margo, and on the line today, we have FBG Jen. Hello. And we have FBG Kristen. Yo. And Jen, I think you just said hello because you didn't get a lot of sleep last night. <laughs> babies, babies up all night. <laughs> I have so little sleep. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Maybe my New Year's resolution could be for my children to sleep. Is that something I can like? I don't think that's something I can do, but I'd like to. I think send it out <sighs> to the universe and see what happens. That's what Every I say. Every night. I pray. I'm like, maybe tonight is the night that <laughs> they both will break through. Maybe. Well, the show we're talking about today, we interviewed Laura Gassner-Otting, and her book is called Limitless. She speaks all over the country, and she's a big pro- a promoter of helping people get unstuck, and she's the founder of Limitless Possibility. And we did this interview, and then, Kristen, you became kind of friends with Laura. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, it was, I mean, just kind of I think in the interview, or maybe it was after we finished talking, I don't, I don't remember where the recording ends, but, um, you know, just got to talking about some more things. And I was like, um, she's a rower and we have a big rowing community here. I'm like, oh, well, if you're ever in Sarasota, um, you should let me know and I'll, you know, we'll get a coffee or something. And then we became friends on Facebook and it's, you know, it's always really cool when you when we meet somebody on this podcast who is inspiring and amazing and wants, makes you want to like live up to, to what they appear to be, but you don't always know, like, are they like that all the time? Um, and after becoming like Facebook friends with her and, you know, following along there, like she, she does walk the walk and she is authentic and open and honest about, you know, the, the, the pros and the cons of, you know, being a, worldwide speaker and having that kind of a crazy travel schedule and being so, you know, so determined and committed to everything that she does, you know, from, um, from helping people to achieving her own athletic goals. And one of the kind of cool things that came of this is, um, so as we're recording this, it's December. So last month in November, she was doing a, uh, I guess every year she does this 10,000 kettlebell challenge. Um, and you know, just, Anybody who wants to join can join. There's a little, she makes a little Facebook group and, you know, she just put an invite out to people. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good. I had just kind of come off my Toronto half marathon and was looking for a new goal that maybe wasn't so running specific. And so I got in with this group and it's like everyone from, um, you know, like, you know, your, your typical person like me who, you know, works from home and just kind of does some active stuff to like Olympians and stuff. And 
let me see how many more times I can say and stuff in one <laughs> in one interview. So we did kettlebell swings and stuff. Um, no, but it was it was really neat. We you know there was a spreadsheet. We tracked it. Everybody cheered each other on, held each other accountable. And bottom line is, I love swinging kettlebells, which I knew I liked it before. But man, it was like if you just Google 10,000 kettlebell challenge, I think that it'll come up with sort of the premise of it. So you swing and then you do other exercises um, and do progressively more and more throughout the workout and throughout the month. And so not only did I like become a badass kettlebell swinger, but um, my pushups are seriously on point now. And my grip strength from swinging these heavy kettlebells around and like I kept going up in weight, um, my grip strength has improved. It was really neat. And plus, you know, I got to kind of meet some other really interesting, badass people, which is always welcome. That's awesome. So my question is, is there, is it just in November or do they have them throughout the year? Um, she just did it for November, but I mean, I, one could do this anytime um, if you wanted to do it by, you know, on your own. Yeah, totally. That sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah. And yeah. And honestly, I, I'm going to kind of keep doing it. Not, not with the same, um, not on the same schedule as I was, because it's pretty much like two days on and then a day off. Um, but boy, it was a really good, you know, like every day was like 500 swings and then, you know, your your extra workout stuff in between. And it's a good workout and a really simple no brainer one that you can do if you've got kettlebells at home, you can just knock that out in your living room and be done in like 20 minutes. Um, and I'm a huge fan of that. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. One of the things we talk about in this interview that I really enjoy um, is that she mentions two things. And they're, I think they're very much against what we've, we learned from Oprah. But one of them is that, is that following your passion is actually kind of the worst advice to follow. And then secondly, she talks about the motto, fake it until you make it, is actually a very deep, deeply flawed concept. So you guys should listen in for that because I, she, you're going to be so inspired by this woman. Like she really, like you said, she walks the walk, she talks the talk. So I think you guys are going to get a lot from it. And uh, I'm really excited about this interview that you guys are going to hear. You know what else I'm excited about? What? Trees? Stickers. Yeah. <laughs> we have stickers, Fit Bottom Girl stickers, and you guys have been requesting from all over the country, all over the world, actually, you guys. I sent some to Finland recently. Thank you oh, cool. so That's much. That's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. We, y'all are all over the world. So please, if you want a sticker and you want to stick that onto your water bottle or wherever, please send us an email. It's podcast at fitbottomgirls.com. We will ship them to you anywhere you are in the world. Um, if you listen to us on iTunes, if you can leave us a review there, that would be amazing. Or just click the five stars. That totally counts. I know they make it hard to leave a review, but that would be amazing. And please be sure to subscribe. That way you'll never miss an episode. You can find us at Fit Bottom Girls on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube. Did I forget anything in the social media? I think that's it. I think that's it too. So guys, we're going to get right into this interview today. Take out a notebook and a pen and start to take notes because you're going to really love this interview. It's Laura Gassner-Otting of the Fit Bottom Girls. Reset your mind, body, and soul to be a little bit more fit bottomed in our free five-day Fit Bottom Reset email course. Sign up at fitbottomgirls.com forward slash email now. Today we are speaking with Laura Gassner-Otting. She helps people get unstuck and achieve extraordinary results. She is the founder of Limitless Possibility, and her new book is Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. Welcome to the show, Laura. 
Hello. Hello. This is FBG Margo on the line today. We have FBG Jen. Hello. Hello. And we have FBG Kristen. Hey. And I'm going to ask you the first question. And it's real simple. Why is follow your passion the world's worst advice? How does this hold us back from getting unstuck? Well, I think we spent a lot of time looking at Instagram and and Facebook and other social media and seeing these like beautiful flaxen haired flower crowned women staring off into the distance with some meme saying, follow your passion. And we think if we just find our passion, it's all going to be great. And, you know, little, little birds are going to come and dress us in the morning like Snow White and we're going to go off to the ball like Cinderella. And it turns out that following your passion is, is a great idea except it doesn't get you to your passion. So we have this this sensation, this idea that if we just figure out our passion, then that's all we need to do. And that's really only the start. And so following your passion is terrible advice because you really, you know, you're going to get beaten up by your passion. It's going to gut you. It's going to destroy you. It might actually even empty your bank account in order for you to get to the place where your passion starts to pay off. And so I, I want people to find their passion and to get there. By all means, that's the holy grail. But I also want them to know that there's going to be, there's going to be a lot of hard work that's also involved in getting there too. And it's the decision that you actually want to do the hard yards, the work in the dark that nobody sees to actually fulfill that passion. That's really going to tell you what's your passion and what's not. All right, man. I love all the imagery about the Instagram flowers and like, (laughs) and the snow white. And because I do think a lot of people, you know, see all that or, hear that advice and are like, oh yeah, my, I just have to follow my passion and then every, everything in life will be roses and it'll be great. Um, but yeah, if you follow your passion, it's gutsy, ballsy work for real. It's, it's hard stuff. You know, when I was doing, I spent 20 years interviewing thousands of leaders in major crisis moments of their career. And what I learned is that, you know, all of these people, because I was the CEO of my company, by the time they got to me, they were already qualified for the job. I just had to figure out if they were consonant with the organization, with, with their goals. And what I learned was that, you know, of these thousands of people, so many of them were successful, but they weren't all happy. And I was really struck by the idea that success doesn't always equal happiness. And if success doesn't always equal happiness, well, then what the hell does? Like, how do we become happy? And so it's not this idea of just following this one myopic lean into everything version of success. It's figuring out how we get there. And so we, we get stuck with this idea that passion has to be this bigger overarching thing, saving the whales or curing cancer or you know, something that's huge when really your passion can be getting out of debt or finishing your degree. Maybe it's starting a business. Maybe it's working for a leader that you love. Maybe it's buying the Maserati in the beach house, or maybe it is curing cancer and saving the whales. But we have this idea that passion has to be this thing that consumes us. And if it doesn't consume us, then it's not enough. And then we think, well, somebody else has more. And we just get stuck in this trap of comparing ourselves to other people when there's always going to be somebody who is, you know, smarter or wealthier or thinner or fitter or whatever it is. And the only success we need to to judge ourselves by is our own definition of success. Is this something that makes me happy? Is this something that is my calling? Do I want to do the work that connects to this calling? And is it contributing to the kind of work that I want in a way that I can control the output and the outcome? So I'm curious, you know, you talked about so many different, um, different types of passions. Are there some passions out there that it's just like, no, like that is not a thing you should follow. And here's what you need to understand instead. Um, Or is it, that's not, I didn't really phrase that very well. But I guess what I'm trying to get at is, is there a way to tell if, you know, if you realize that, yes, I am passionate about this one thing. And 
I realized that just following that is not the necessarily the path to success. But is there a way to sort of glean whether whether it's worth putting that hard work into? So this is where the four C's of consonants in my book really come into play. You know, I talk about the the reason that when I learned that there were people who were successful and happy, what I noticed was that they were in alignment, they were in flow. So everything that they were doing was, was leading towards something that actually made them happy, as opposed to people who were one person at home and one person at work. And so I define consonants as when the what you do matches the who you are. And so for some people, it's having this calling. It's one big overarching thing that really keeps them going and keeps them moving. It's some sort of passion. But it may be at different ages and at different stages, something else. So for example, it may be that you have young kids and aging parents and every minute you spend at work has to actually matter. You have to feel like your work matters and that the, that you in that box, in that organizational chart, in that company today is actually making a difference. So you have to feel deep connection that your work actually matters. It may be that what you're looking for is contribution. So the thing that you care about right now, maybe having a job that allows you to have flexibility to pick up your kids a couple of days a week from school, or um, it allows you to travel the world, or it's building a career trajectory, or it's paying you for the to have the kind of lifestyle that you want, whether that's buying the Maserati or giving lots of money to philanthropy. Or it may be that you're somebody who likes to have control you're an entrepreneur and you want to have control over the amount of money that you're making, the amount of time that you're spending working, the way that, you know, the teams that you get assigned to or the projects that you get put on and how that might impact your career. So I define consonants as having these four C's of connect, of calling, connection, contribution, and control. And at every age and at every life stage, we may want more or less of some of them. So you don't have to have all four equally balanced, but for you, you, your your rubric of consonants will look different than somebody else's. And so I think the only bad passion to fall, the only way to get stuck in this passion trap is to say, this is my passion today, and it's going to be my passion forever and ever, right? I got asked the other day, what would be the best advice you could give to your younger self on this podcast? If they were listening to this podcast today, and I'm saying, my younger self would say, wait, what? I'm, advice on a podcast that's being recorded over the internet that's being listened <laughs> to on mobile phones. Like none of those things existed. <laughs> My younger self was good. So I would say, you know, write your plans in pencil. So I think the only bad passion to follow is passion that's written in pen and you think is definitional to you and not going to change. Let's talk about the mantra, fake it till you make it. People love to say that, that but that can put limits on your growth, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, if we think about times in our lives when we've been in over our heads and we're faking it till we make it, some of those times we've been in a place where, I don't know, it's somewhere that we want to be and it makes sense. And then other times we're just there because it was the right next move. It was the right next promotion. It was the right next job. It was where we were told we were supposed to go. You know, Lean In came out and it was this idea of you should follow the fastest, most expedient path to the corner office and the biggest, the biggest paycheck. And, you know, that might make sense for some people. It might not make sense for others. And when I found myself at the age of 22 sitting in the White House, looking around at all these like pretty young, bright things who were busy scribbling notes and, you know, they these these people would walk into the in, into the office and they'd have their dog-eared newspapers and they'd be writing all kinds of notes while they were waiting for meetings to start. And I remember thinking to myself, what are they thinking about? I'm not that smart. Like they're they're busy having so many ideas and I'm just trying to, you know, 
figure out how, you know how to how to how to wear my mom's hand-me-down suits in a way that I don't look ridiculous and and so I was so busy faking trying to look like them and writing down silly stupid notes that I wasn't even looking around to to listen to the conversations and to get to know people and to create those relationships and to learn and it turns out that if you're so busy faking it till you make it you're not only not you're not only not going to make it as quickly as you should because you're not learning things you might also not even want to be where you are right if you're so busy faking it till you make it it doesn't give you a chance to to fail and to pick yourself back up and to decide whether or not you actually really want to work for this thing that you're that you're faking so hard and so i think fake it till you um, puts us in this place where we're we're working so hard to be somebody else's version of success that we don't even get a chance to see whether or not that's the success we want and that's the success that would feel right for us so let's talk a little bit you just kind of touched on that and um i love your thoughts on because so many of us are just afraid to fail and we've kind of grown up thinking you know like you need to get a's and you need to you need like just all these things you're talking about about what what success is on the outside world um without kind of taking yourself into account so can you talk about how maybe we can better gosh embrace failure or be okay with failure yeah, I think, you know, I think we tend to think about failure as a bad thing. Um, you know, we think failure is finale. We think it's definitional. We failed. We couldn't do it. It's over. And I tend to think about failure as fulcrum. You know, failure is that moment where you realize you figure out what you're what you're made of and you know that you can do more. I spend um, I, I, a few weeks ago, I was at my my kids uh, um, parent-teacher conferences. And we spent, you know, parent-teacher conferences are like every 15 minutes, you sit down with a different teacher and they tell you all the things that your kid can't do, right? <laughs> like, they're like, your kid's wonderful, except there are these 17 things that we're challenged about. And at the end of the day, I remember walking out and thinking, wow, I got some work to do. I better, you know, focus on my, on, on, on my family a little bit. And then I realized, you know, what's interesting is that as adults, we get hired and paid and promoted and praised for sitting in our centers of excellence, of doing the thing that we do best in the world, right? We are the person that they went out and they recruited and they hired as the number one top person who can do this job. And we, are to, we do that job every single day. Our children, on the other hand, are forced to live on the edge of their incompetence every single day. So like you figured out pre-algebra, great, here's algebra. You got algebra, algebra, great, here's geometry. You got geometry, here's trigonometry. They never rest on their laurels. They never just go back and do the same thing over and over again, week after week, year after year. They're constantly learning new things. And part of that is failure. And that's how they figure it out. So, you know, you, you can either be the kind of parent who sits with their kid and does their homework with and for them, or you can let your kid flail around and bring their, their, their terrible homework back to school. And then the teacher realizes what they don't know. And when the teacher realizes what they don't know, they're able to teach them something new and the kids are able to learn and they're able to grow. And I think as grownups, we, we, we were so relieved that we finally had to stop living on the edge of our incompetence. And we got really comfortable living in the center of our excellence. And I, you know, I think if you look at athleticism, and I know that you you know you talk a lot about this on your on your, on your show. If you think about when you are striving to do something else, you don't just run the same race, you don't just do the same activity and hope for the same time. You're constantly pushing yourself past the edge of your incompetence to see what else you're made of. And I think if we 
our lives and our work as doing the same thing, I think we would all figure out that we have much elasticity and pliability and, and ability than we thought we had. It's a lot with me. Wow. I, um, <laughs> I have a little sticker up on my desk right now that says um, it's a reminder that no is progress. Rejection is progress. Criticism is progress because it means that I can improve the things that good at but could always be better at and oh gosh that you just drove that home in a really good way so thank you but I really love that I'm you know it's uh, you know I, I've heard people say that oh is just yes later but I love <laughs> I, I love the idea that you know all of it is progress because you know everything that happens around us even if you don't get any response whatsoever it's you can still go to school on it you know you can still turn the lens back and say you know what can I do differently what can I do I I ran a marathon the first marathon of of, of my life about a year and a half after running the first mile of my life and oh my um, I gosh. Was, yeah I, I was I was always picked last for every team um, ever in my life. And then as I was turning 39, um, I ran into a friend of mine who's in her 60s. And I was like, God, Ellen, you look amazing. Either you've been really sick or there's a new man in your life and you look way too good to have been really sick. So like, what gives? <laughs> and she's like, there is a new man in my life. His name is Mike, Coach Mike. And then she proceeds to drag me to this boot camp class. I'd never belonged to a gym. I'd never been athletic. And I wasn't heavy. I wasn't thin. I was just kind of there. I'd had a couple kids. I was just like, everything was kind of starting to hurt a little. I was approaching 40. And at the end of this boot camp, he would make us run a mile around the, this gym. And, you know, you'd have to run like 37 laps or something around the gym to get out to be a mile. It took me six weeks to get to, um, to get to be able to run the mile without stopping. And at the end of it, I was like, you know what, I'm going to run a 5k. And then I ran a 5k. And during that 5k, women with like fashion glasses and dads pushing double joggers were passing me on hills. I mean, it was just, it was to say I ran a 5k is like, it's, it's, that's a stretching the truth a little bit. I completed a 5k and a mile, a year and a half later, I, I finished my first marathon. But I remember as, as I passed Mark, which as you know, is like the furthest you run in training. So I'd never been that in my life. And it was 92 degrees that day. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, you're going to do this. You're going to be a marathoner. You're going to finish this thing. And yeah, your time sucks. And this is horrible. And every part of you hurts, but you're going to be a marathoner. And then another voice came crushing into my head that said, what are you crazy? You're going to die out here. This is the dumbest <laughs> thing you've ever done. What is this is nuts. And I remember thinking to myself, I have these two voices that are, because, you know, I've run 20 miles in 90 degree heat at this point. So I'm completely hallucinating and having like a tea oh, yeah. party myself in my brain. And I'm, I'm like, I remember thinking to myself, okay, you've got these two voices in your head and only one of them gets to win. Who's it going to be? And I was running and running. And then I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm the one who decides who gets to win. I'm the only one who gets to decide. And, and, you know, I could have stopped and sort of had failure in that moment. Um, and I could have said, oh, this stinks. I was training for four hours and I'm running at five hours because it's so hot. And I could, I could make all those decisions where I could just say, you know what, this is the moment where I dig deep and I decide what I'm made of. And I think we all have those two voices on our head at any given time where you could say that was a failure. That was a rejection. That was a no. Or you can say that was an opportunity where I can learn and I can do things differently next time. And I think we all that that's that's the choice we get. We get that choice handed to us sometimes unceremoniously every single day. 
And if you see failure as finale, you take one path. And if you see failure as fulcrum, you take the other. Can you please talk about your limitless life assessment quiz? You know, where can we find this and how can it help us? Yes. So um, on, if you go to limitlessassessment.com, you can actually take a, it's a quiz. It takes about 10 or 15 minutes. There's about 60 questions on it. And what it does is it walks uh, the the readers through each of the four C's of of calling connection contribution and control and allows them to uh, learn how much of each of the C's they want to have in their lives and how much of each of the C's they currently have in their lives. And then at, when they get the results, they'll give it gives you um, some tips about how to get more of whatever it is that you want. So it's a wonderful way if somebody is stuck and they're not really sure where quite to go next or sort of how to use this framework for them to sort of take it and put it into a, a, a very personalized response that they know exactly what the right next steps are. So I'm curious, how do you how do you personally define success for yourself and how has that changed throughout your career and, and your personal life? So when I was 21 years old working on a presidential campaign, um, I had all the calling in the world. I mean, I was worth my weight in ramen soup. I was just an idealist who um, wanted to change the world, but I was fetching coffee. That's all I, you know, I was, I was a peon. I was a, I was a gopher. Um, so I had no connection whatsoever, but boy, contribution, I was manifesting the, the values that I wanted to live in this life. And I, I, I was, you know, certainly wasn't earning enough money to earn the kind of lifestyle that I wanted, but I was young, so I didn't really care. But I knew that if Bill Clinton won, there might've been an interesting job on the other end of it for me. And so um, even though I didn't have any control about where I was assigned to go and what I was assigned to, I had all of the calling and the contribution that I so desperately and deeply wanted. And that was what my rubric looked like. Now I'm approaching 40, I'm approaching 48 years old. I've got you know older parents, I've got teenage kids, I've got a husband with a really busy job and I have a wonderful network of people where I'm involved and I can do the philanthropic and political work that I wanna do to help make the world a better place but it doesn't have to be where I spend all of my time and focus. So calling is, is still there and it's pretty large but it's not my driving factor anymore. Right now, connection has to really matter. I'm not gonna go you know do work for a client or, um, or or, or serve an industry or get on a stage where I don't deeply care about what's happening and I don't feel like it's connected to sort of getting my book out there and building the, the platform that I want to help you know, change people's lives. In terms of contribution, I'm able to build a career that allows me the flexibility to pick up my kids a couple of days from, from uh, a couple of days a week from school or travel to interesting places in the world and sit on interesting stages. And I'm able to use that platform to manifest the values that I care about in the world. And then in terms of control, I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm able to pick exactly where I want to work and how I want to work in a way that is building the life that I want. So at every age and at every uh, life stage, the way that you will build it is different. And I think just the most important thing to do is to recognize that it's okay for it to change. In fact, it should change. And not only that, your definition is going to be different than everybody else's definition. And that's the you're the only vote that matters. You're the only voice that matters in this. So Laura, let's say we've got somebody who, you know, they they are just in a situation that's difficult. They're they've got a job and they're they feel quite stuck. They don't love it. Um and but you know, maybe due to other life circumstances, they are just not in a position where they can really make a big change there right now. What are some things that they might be able to do to to just find some more purpose in a situation that 
doesn't seem very resplendent with it. Well, so I think there's a couple things that people can do in terms of finding more purpose. It really depends on how that person defines purpose. So, you know, when we think about when we are our very best selves, so when you are your fundamentally best version of yourself, think about who you were in that moment. If you were making it rain, if you were closing a deal, maybe you were helping a loved one or a colleague through a difficult situation. So it could be loud, it could be quiet. And really thinking about who you were in that moment and thinking about how you know how much noise you were making what energy you were using what muscles what energy what what parts of your brain were engaged and then trying to figure out how to create more of those moments in your life so that you're intentionally leaning in to that moment when you are at your very best your your fundamental state of leadership i think that's the first thing that 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 people can um, that people can do. I think the second thing is that we have to recognize that all of us have economics of reality, and um, you know my bank doesn't take good karma in exchange for mortgage, no matter how hard I try. So you know while I could spend my career serving the nonprofit sector um, and volunteering for things, I also still need to make money, and uh, I don't I'm not in you know in a position right now where I can just do whatever I want. So I think I think a lot of us, whether we have you know classes we have to finish or uh, you know, a, a project that, you know, we're tied to for work or family issues or, or geography. Some of us are stuck um, in ways that are out of our control for right now. And that's when the beauty of the side quest comes in. So the side quest is, is I don't know if you guys are, if you guys are video game players at all, but as I mentioned, teenage boys, I have a lot of video game playing in my house. Um, the side quest is this wonderful idea where if you are playing an interactive game with a friend, but your friend can't quite log on yet, and if the goal of the interactive game is to like go to the castle, slay the dragon, save the princess, but you can't go on your quest until your friend finishes you know, dinner with his family and logs on, there are things that you can do. So if you need to go to the castle, slay the dragon, and save the princess, you're going to need a horse and you're going to need a sword. So what do you do right now? You go on a side quest. You tend your crops. You 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 build your, you know, you grow your wheat. You take your wheat, you bring it to the market, you sell the wheat and you make some money. And with that money, you buy the horse and you buy the drag, you buy the 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 uh, the sword so you can slay the dragon and save the princess. And so even if there are things that you can't do right now to have purpose capital P purpose, there are things that you can do for that can that can push you along the path so that when the moment is ready and you can make the change, you have the money to, you know, from selling the wheat, you've, you've, you know, you've, 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 you've grown the wheat to have the money to buy the sword to slay the dragon. So you have these teenage sons. Do you have strict rules about their social media? Um, I don't have, str- I mean, we have, we have one strict rule in my house, which is don't be an idiot. that's a really good rule (laughs) i have i have lots of friends who have given their kids you know when my kids were 12 they got cell phones and um because that's you know when they go to middle school and are sort of on their own a little bit and i have i have a lot of friends who gave their kids phones with like 47 page contracts like you know you i get to see all of your text messages and don't ever send pictures and on and on and on and on and i mean i don't know about you but when i was a kid i had plenty of rules and i figured out ways to get around all of them same so, <laughs> yeah, like they're going to figure it out. And, you know, I they're relatively clever individuals. And I feel like if they want to if they want to figure out how to be naughty, they're going to figure out how to be naughty. Like I, I would much rather live in a world where I say, yeah, same here. I did all those things. So there's probably not much you're going to do that I haven't done. <laughs> 
So number one, I'm three steps ahead of you. Number two, there's really nothing that you're going to get in trouble for that I haven't gotten in trouble for too. So why don't you talk to me and we can figure out a way out of it together. And I mean, I, I, I think that I'm, I, I am able to be a good mom because I have good kids. I mean, I, I like to think that it's my own brilliance and parenting and, but I'm pretty lucky. They're pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think in parenting, I think you get one choice and only one choice. And I think every other choice stems from that choice. And I think the choice is either you get on their bus or you get run over by their bus. And you don't really get a choice of where the bus is going or what seat you sit in or what music is playing. Every once in a while, they might ask you for directions. But I think you're either on the bus with them or, or you're getting run over by it. That, that, wow. I have, a, I have a four-year-old and that is so true. <laughs> like even just getting ready in the morning, like we're either going to take all of the Paw Patrol and get them dressed as well, or we're all leaving the house crying. Like <laughs> exactly. And honestly, like what does it's it really fine. cost you to get the right. Paw Patrol dressed to? And here's the, you right. know, I got a really good piece of parenting advice when I, when my kids were about, my, my oldest was about four years old. And the advice was this. Once you stop listening, they stop talking. And, 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 and you have to listen to all the big stuff and all the little stuff because the truth is it's all big stuff to them. Like there's nothing more earnest than a four-year-old telling you what the Paw Patrol wants to wear. And they tell you they are so earnest. They just, they really, it's so deep in their core. And, you know, you could dismiss it, but you're dismissing them. And when you're in a rush, it's so hard not to just be like, come on, let's go. But it ends up taking more time, don't you think? Oh, totally. Totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, I really couldn't agree more. So I'm curious, do you um, talk to your your boys about all the, like, all the stuff you're talking about with us today? Or does that just kind of, I don't know, like, are you having direct conversations with them about success and being stuck and, you know, redefining your own version of success? Or are you just, is that just kind of like how your house lives? <laughs> you know, it's hilarious. I think my kids could probably give you know, my kids have heard me give so much life and career advice to people over time. And they've, they've heard me practicing, you know, my speeches so often. And they've, you know, they've heard me, you know, record these podcasts. And, and I think they could probably give, I, they could, it would actually be hilarious to have one of them sit in for me on a podcast. I, <laughs> I, I actually think they, they would do a hilarious imitation of me. Um, you know, we, we, so we do a thing in our house. Um, we call it's a, we do a family meeting every weekend. Um, and we've been doing it for about two and a half years or so now, and it has fundamentally shifted the the tenor of our house. Um, and and uh, so the family meeting, and I I can I wrote a blog post about this that we can share in the in the um, show notes if any of your listeners, um, if your FBGs want to want to want to want to see it. Um, yeah. But the idea behind the family meeting is that you know, there are two things that made me absolutely crazy as a parent. The first are the drive-bys. When you're driving home from somewhere and your kid says something like, mom, I need to get a birthday present for so-and-so's party, or I'm going to this, you know, this party this weekend, I need new shoes. And you're like, oh, okay. And in your mind, you're like, yes, got to get the birthday present, got to get the new shoes. Absolutely. I'm on it. And then by the time you get home, you've talked about seven other things. You've gotten 16 texts. There's a, you know, a phone call with the client and you just forget about it. And then Saturday rolls around your kids like, where are my shoes? Where's the birthday present? And you think I am the worst mother ever, right? How can I not be remembered? 
And the truth is that it was just a drive-by and you forget about it. And they've shifted their responsibility onto you in a way that, frankly, wouldn't allow other grown-ups to do. So, like, why are you letting your kids do this? And that's the first. The second was just the fighting. Like, we were just bickering and getting, you know, we were, like, yelling at each other a lot. And I didn't like it. And so we set up what we call our, our family meeting. And we do it every weekend. And it's 45 minutes. We're in, we're out, we're done. And it starts um, just to, like a somebody, one of the family members talks about one of our family values, whether it's trying new things or, uh, you know, assuming the best in others or caring about the environment or whatever. And we just mention it and seeing that, you know, we've been working on to do that. And then the next thing is an airing of gratitudes. And the airing of gratitudes is everyone kind of going around and just giving people shout outs for, you know, achieving something big or doing something hard or for the other one or going out of their way or just something then we do you know just the schedule who's where on what day and who's staying late at school and who's got to work dinner and who's who and you know we try to like kind of loosely outline dinner and my kids are almost 15 and 17 now so now they're like volunteering for you know like well i'll pick up burritos on the thing like they're sort of doing their part and then we do long-range planning like we're thinking about this vacation or that vacation saw the show and is anybody interested and should we get to and then we do the airing of grievances. And this is where the real meeting happens. Like the whole meeting feels like it's important to everybody. But the airing of grievances is that moment when my said my 16-year-old will look at me and say, you know, mom, on Wednesday, I was on my way to go take out the trash. And you were like, why haven't you taken out the trash yet? And I was on my way. And you weren't assuming the best of me. And I feel like there might have been a better way, mom, for you to mention that, like, you'd been annoyed that I hadn't taken out the trash yet. And or it's my opportunity to say, hey, you know, I picked you up from school the other day and you were super crap. I kind of had to go out of the way to cancel a meeting in order to be there because it was an important day for you. And how can we do better next time? And it's just this great way of striking while the iron's cold. And you can actually have a conversation about, well, what are our values as a who do we want to be when we are our best selves? And then are we living that and how do we do it? And then we, you know, go into like when the next meeting be scheduled and that's really the meeting. And because of that, it's kind of allowed us to use some of the framework of the ideas in the book, but not in a way where I'm like life coaching them, but really in a way where we're all kind of coming together and supporting each other and who we want to be and what we want to be in the world. So did the structure of the meeting, did it, just evolve over time or were you really like conscious of creating it like that framework you 100 percent stole it from my son's camp um so um we the my my kids go to this camp where they have this 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 sort of broad ethos of success counseling so if you go up to bat and you miss the ball and you you know you're pissed off off and you throw the, the bat down the counselor comes over and he's like hey you know how'd that go well you know terribly well what did you expect to happen? Well, I thought I would hit a home run. Well, okay. Well, what did you do to prepare for it? Well, I don't know. I went up to bat and I stood there and I tried to hit the ball. Okay. Well, what do you think you might try to do next time? You know, and then you sort of get to the point where the kid's saying, well, maybe I should try to practice a little more and maybe that would be a good idea. Um, and, and they don't, they, 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 they help them think about who they are when they are their very best and then what they could do to be that person. And in order to do that, they spend a lot of time at the camp doing like, you know, tent meetings. So like you get together with your tent at the beginning of the summer and you talk about who you want to be as a tent and what you want your community to be. And then they check in every, you know, week or so like with each other 
about if they're doing that. And so the, the idea of doing a family meeting sort of came from the idea of doing a tent meeting. If you're running a business and you're, or you're running a division or you're managing people, you would never just assume that everybody's on the same page and everybody is doing exactly what they need to do. You set goals and then you give assignments and then you check in and you have conversations. And yet in our families, we assume that just because we're related to each other by blood or by law, we're all going to have ESP. I mean, it's sort of unfair, especially if you consider that at least half the people living in that house don't have frontal lobes. So if you're, you know, expecting them to 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 know how to live in the world and specifically in this community in ways that support you and you support them, but yet you're not talking to each other about what that means, then we're all operating in ignorance. Laura, we have we've talked a lot about so many of the things that are included in your book, but we haven't actually talked about the fact that, you know, you've got a book and I would love to hear a little bit about, um, you know, what was involved in, in bringing that to fruition and did you have to take your own advice at any point to get unstuck? Oh, well, it's really sort of a funny story because um, this book originally started off as the non-obvious guide to purpose, how to do work that matters. And, 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 and the reason is because I wanted to write a book about leadership and finding your own voice and being confident in the choices that you make and the chances that you take. And I approached a publisher and he said, yeah, that sounds great. We want you to write that book and we want you to write it under our imprint. But we're doing this series called the Non-Obvious Guide series. And we would love it if you wrote um, uh, a book about doing work with purpose. And I said, well, I don't really want to write that book. I already wrote that book, my first book, Mission Driven, about going from corporate to nonprofit work. And I don't really, I don't, I'm, not, I'm sort of over, I'm past that. I don't do that anymore. And he said, yeah, but you could take those 80,000 words and just you know shorten them to like 18, 20,000 words, kind of coffee with an expert feel. And then we could, you know, do the next one. And I said, all right, fine. So I spent about a week putting together an outline. I sent it to him and he said, yeah, well, it's great. But with my publisher hat on, I really um, think that you could sell more books if you wrote about more than just nonprofit work as the way to find purpose. Clearly, there's other ways to find purpose than nonprofit work. And so I said, okay. So then I started expanding it. And as I was expanding it, I was really kind of going head to head with the editor because the the uh, to write a book about purpose, you kind of have to figure out why you don't have it, which is sort of like an existential crisis. Like, who, who am I as a person and what do I care about? And a guidebook is written, chapter one, problem solution, chapter two, problem solution, chapter three, problem solution. And this didn't really fit. And so we kind of started going head to head. And to her credit, because of it, the book actually became a better book. But I called the publisher up and I said, look, I think I'm stuck. This is not working. I'm, I, I think I'm not the author for you. And I think you should just have someone else write this book. And he said, I agree. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I kind of expected him to talk me out of it or to like, let me do the book the way I wanted to. And he said, no, I actually agree. And in fact, I think this is a bigger idea than you might think it is. And I think you should write this book as just its own book and we should publish it on its own as a big idea book in hardback. And I went, holy cats, now what am I going to do? <laughs> and I called a good friend of mine and I told him the story and he said, well, what do you want people to think? How do you want people to feel when they finish reading this book? And I said, I just don't want them to be limited anymore by everyone else's expectations and definitions of success. I just want them to be their own person and to stop listening to everybody else and to live a better life because they're living the life they want. And he said, so you want them to be limitless? And I said, yes. And so the book went from being the non-obvious guide 
to purpose, how to do work that matters to limitless, how to ignore everybody, carve your own path and live your best life. And it changed the cadence, the tenor, the tone of the entire book in a way that like I, I was struggling and struggling and struggling. And then I was, we had, we talked for 45 minutes and I said, you know, I love you dearly and I would talk to you all day long, but I can't wait to get off the phone and write this book this way now. And, and, and I think I finished the entire book in like 10 days after that, because it was just, it was like he opened the floodgates of of, of, of unlimiting me, right? I became limitless by just changing the definition of what this book could and should be. That is amazing. That's so cool. That's awesome. It's kind of meta, right? Like, it's like I have like a yeah. experience with my own book about being limitless. <laughs> and where can we find this book? So the book is on Amazon.com. It's on Barnes and Noble. Obviously, anywhere, anywhere fine books are sold. Um, people can go to LimitlessAssessment.com and they can take the assessment that we talked about earlier. And I am online on all the socials everywhere at HeyLGO.com or HeyLGO on all the all the social media. And that's Hey, like Hey there, H-E-Y-L-G-O. Hey, Margo, can I sneak in one more question before I do last question? Go for it. Okay, because I know you talk times, <laughs> and I feel like how could we not ask like have a question about what it's like to work in the White House? So just anything you'd like to share that feels fun. <laughs> well, you know, I had some really strange experiences there. Like I met Willie Nelson standing outside the Oval Office, and my dad is a huge fan. And I went up to him, and I was like, I know every word to every one of your songs. Biggest fan. Now my dad is like a Jewish boy from Brooklyn, so that's kind of weird. Um, and he looks at me and he goes that's good. That's real good. And, you know, so it's like, it doesn't <laughs> oh my get God. any stranger than meeting Willie Nelson outside of this. But I will tell you that when your first job is briefing the president of the United States about things, you don't get that intimidated by anybody else ever. But and uh, yeah, the reason I ended up there is because I believed so deeply in this idea of community service in exchange for college tuition that I dropped out of law school and changed my entire life because it was just an idea that needed to happen. And I just got phenomenally lucky to to end up in 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 this place. I mean, it was my first real job. Like the the, the part time jobs I'd had before that were like making um, you know carrot beet and celery juice at a, at a health restaurant and changing bedpans in a hospital so you know it was kind of, it was a real career moment. um but but it was it was it was a great opportunity to meet the best and the brightest doing incredible things all who were just um you know we were, we all had the same goal in mind which was just you know making the world a better place and i i feel i i i, I feel super lucky to have been able to be there at that moment in time do you still live in the D.C. area? I live in Boston now. Ah, okay. Uh, so can we ask her one more question? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, here we go. So, Laura, we have one more question for you. You've been such an awesome guest. Uh, but I do have one more we have to ask you because we ask this of everybody that appears on the show. What was the last song you listened to before you did this podcast interview? Oh, um... So this morning I was with my girls at the boathouse. So I'm a, I'm a competitive rower. Um, and we are, we have a Missy Elliott playlist that we love. Um, and so, um, what was the name of the song that we listened to? The last song on the playlist was, um, it, it was her last big single. Um, uh, 
Yes, 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 yes. Yes, I love that. And I joke around about that song because like, so I'm on this competitive rowing team and the rowing team has uh, women that are everywhere from 24 years old to 64 years old. It's just an incredible like 40 women who are just so, so badass and so tough. And but I, I do a lot of the erg workouts with um, some of the younger women. So there's this there's this group of four of us, and we have a little text chain called Ergalicious because there's just <laughs> the four of us, and we're figuring out like, when we're going to work out. And they're like 25, 28, 30 years old, and so they're younger than me, and they're far fitter than me. But I'm like, yep, this is how we do it. This is how we did it when I was young, you know. So I'm like the old lady of the group. So every time you know, a, like a, a badass from my era comes on, I love it. But now you get Missy Elliott singing about you know how things were really done back in the day i'm all about that <laughs> that is That's so amazing. awesome what's, great answer what's one of your, one of your standard rowing workouts i'm just curious oh um well we uh we tend to do a lot of like four by 20 or 25 minute pieces um where oh. we go sort of 18 20 22 strokes per minute with max pressure with the uh, maybe two minute, three minute rest in between, but that's what we do in the beginning of the winter. And now we're moving into a little bit of speed workout time. So today was a five by 1500 meter workout with five. Holy crap. Between. And oh God. I will tell you, it was like really good, really good. Uh, I'm about to vomit. I wear the, like this whoop, um, uh, wristband. And if you look at my, if you look at my, my heart rate afterwards, you see like spike, spike, Oh, halfway through, not so good. Spike. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 pretty great. It's you know, rowing is a fascinating thing because it's you as an entrepreneur, as somebody who is used to doing my own thing and being the leader, right. to not just subsume your ego to the team and to the boat, but to do every single thing in exact timing as everyone else. And you can't stop or you get ejected out of the boat. I mean, it's, you know, you'll be in the middle of the race and you're like, wow, this is fascinating. I don't know what's going to happen next. Is my heart going to explode? Am I going to die? Are we going to win? I don't really know. And then it's over. And then you look and you're like, wow, I was just at 186 heart rate for the last four minutes straight. And I'm 47 years old. Wow. (laughs) Badass. It's, it's it's just a, it's an incredible workout. It's an incredible sport that I I that I'm so glad that I found. But boy, is it is it it is the pain cave. It is a lot. <laughs> of- <laughs> I've got a few friends who are competitive rowers, and they say that that's one of the things they say. It's um that it's harder than anything else you'll ever do, and that it's not what do they say? It's it's not a casual sport. Like you because like you said, you have to get in, you're with your team, you've got to stick with them. Um, and you've got to be there for them. So you yes. can't just show up when you feel like it. And I'm curious, since you're a competitive rower in in Boston, um, did you do head of the Charles? I have done head of the Charles. Yes. Yeah? Yes, yes. It oh. is. It's, it's, it's great fun. Um, it's, uh, it's long. <laughs> Yeah, it's long. it's long and I'm a starboard. So, you know, you're pulling the boat around because you, the, the, the river curves. Um, but boy, it is a good way to get a fit bottom. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So much. Yeah. Oh, no joke. Wow. It's very good. Thank you so much for being on the show today. You're a fantastic guest. You've, you've, you've given us so many truth bombs. <laughs> oh, thank you. Really thank appreciate you. It. Well, you make it so easy. So it's it's great. Love this show? Tell us why in a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll read it on the air. Also, make sure you are a subscriber. If you want to reach out to say hi or have a question about a recent episode, yay, well, feel free to email us at podcast at fitbottomgirls.com. And if this podcast jives perfectly with your brand, consider sponsoring the show. Get more info by emailing advertising at fitbottomgirls.com. 
Find all kinds of Fit Bottom goodness online and on social media at Fit Bottom Girls, Fit Bottom Mamas, Fit Bottom Eats, and Fit Bottom Zen. And if books and movies are your thing, check out the other podcast I co-host called Book vs. Movie, which you can find anywhere where you search for podcasts. Thanks for listening.